intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guard, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. 
after Herod had a thorough search made for him and didn't find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Thank you, Hazel. Let's pray and ask God to uh, speak to us this morning. Father, we pray as we uh, come to this passage that you would be the one who speaks to our minds and to our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, there are many sermons um, which have been preached on this passage and other ones which just encourage us to pray more. Um, but you'll see on the screen there the more uh, has got little marks around it uh, because I don't want us to kind of feel guilty this morning. It's very easy to feel guilty when you talk about praying, isn't it? And um, I don't want us to feel guilty. In fact, it's very easy to feel guilty other times as well. Uh, I don't know about you, but whenever I, I, I catch a, a blue light in the mirror in the car um, and I see it's a police car, I always glance down to check my speed and feel slightly guilty uh, about that. Uh, I have been stopped by the police, but uh, uh, only once was I uh, out over in France got done for speeding. But um, there we are. Um, so anyway, sometimes you should feel guilty, but uh, I don't want us to feel guilty this morning. And today we're going to be thinking... Uh, and learning from Acts chapter 12 and verses 1 to 24. And as you'll see on the back of our sheets, there will be uh, four things I'd like us to note here. Uh, So as we pray, what I'd like us to do is to to kind of this morning, just to tweak our prayer lives, not to feel guilty, not say, oh, I must get down and pray more, but just to tweak the kind of things we do pray for. So I'd I'd love us to pray as I'll explain what these things mean, but you see on our orders of service, more for the big picture, more for people and less for situations, more earnestly and more with other people, and all that without feeling guilty, okay? Today, this morning, is not a guilt trip. Well, chapter 12 here, it's a great story, isn't it? But it's really rather hard at the beginning. You remember Jesus uh, there were three of the apostles who were, seems were particularly close to him, Peter, James, and John. Peter chose them to be with him up the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. They were there in Mark 5, for instance, when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. And it seemed that Jesus gave them particular attention. And the James, who is here in verse 2, the brother of John, was one of them. 
And then it says here, uh, Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. This is not the Herod who tried to get Jesus massacred with all the others in Bethlehem, but this is uh, his grandson, who is uh, Herod uh, of the same family, but Agrippa I. But it says in verse 2 there, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That means he was beheaded. Like the uh, Islamic State would behead people. Same idea. Now that's pretty gruesome, isn't it? And then what happens is uh, that Peter, uh, so we see there, verse 3, saw that this met with the approval among the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter also. So what do you think he has in mind? Well, he can't uh, have a trial during the Jewish Passover of unleavened, fe- uh, unleavened bread, the Passover feast here, uh, because the Jews wouldn't like that. And neither can you carry out a sentence during a Jewish feast. That's why he's in prison rather than going straight to the trial. But actually what is going on here is that Peter is facing his own beheading in the morning after some kind of scam trial. So it's all pretty rough stuff. It is very difficult at the beginning of Acts chapter 12. So uh, James has been beheaded and now it looks, everyone knew, tomorrow Peter mock trial and beheaded too. Two out of the three of Jesus' kind of closest apostles beheaded within, say, 48 hours. That gives you a 33% survival rate if you're one of those three. Sometimes it's really tough being a Christian. Well, Peter was kept safe for the public trial. In verse 4, it says there were four squads of four soldiers, probably doing six-hour shifts, and he'll be dead by lunchtime tomorrow. So verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And uh, uh, generally speaking, Christian people say, well, they were praying for a miracle. Uh, And a miracle happens. Peter is in prison. He's asleep. The angel turns up. He wakes up Peter. The chains fall from his wrists. He's told to get dressed. He's told to put his shoes and his cloak on. Told uh, by the angel, follow me. They go past the guards, who uh, I guess are asleep as well. The doors open automatically, like the north doors over there, and he's free. And then he goes down to Mary's house in verse 12 there. Mary is the mother of Mark. Mark, who wrote Mark's gospel. And he knocks on the door as we saw in the video earlier on it's the middle of the night Uh, the servant girl recognizes his voice runs back upstairs leaving Peter outside it's Peter at the door look at verse 15 the beginning of it you're out of your mind they told her when she kept on insisting it was so they said well it must be his angel but Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door and saw him they were astonished an amazing miracle Peter has been released from prison in answer to the prayers of God's people No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. I really don't think he was. Well, I think he was released, but I really don't think he was released in answer to the prayers of God's people. I don't think that's true at all. The guys write the commentaries. uh, I'm afraid I'm disagreeing with all of them that I've read this last week because I don't think that's what was going on at all. Well, it may have been a little bit. Maybe amongst their prayers they were. Maybe one or two of them prayed that Peter would be released. But actually, I don't think that was what's going on. 
I'll tell you more in a little bit. But uh, that's the second point. But let's first of all get to the first main point, the first more. So praying more. And uh, first thing is, let's pray more for the big picture. Now, the big picture of Acts is explained in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, where, where they're, they're told that uh, you will, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the, the first Christians, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they are now, in Judea, just a little bit further, in Samaria, a little bit further, and the ends of the world. They're going to take the gospel to the world, and then the rest of the book of Acts is telling how this is happening. Now, that's why I wanted Hazel to read up to verse 24, because the big picture in Acts and the big picture in chapter 12 here is this verse 24 but the word of God continued to spread and flourish two things happening here it's spreading so that it's going to more areas different areas more people are hearing and it's flourishing and I take that to mean not just going to more people but actually going more deeply so the individuals are flourishing and responding in their faith now uh, I reckon That is more important, dare I say, even than the beheading of James, that the gospel is spreading and flourishing. And uh, uh, it was Martin Luther in 1540, so a little while ago, and uh, he had a friend called Frederick Myconius. And uh, Frederick was gravely ill, and it seemed he was about to die. So uh, he wrote a fond farewell letter to Luther, and Luther replied immediately in typical uh, fashion, I command thee in the name of God to live, because I still have need of thee in reforming the church. The Lord would not let me hear while I live that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. Cheeky. And Myconius recovered and survived Luther by a couple of months. But you see, Luther had the big picture. Why did he want his friend to survive and not to die? Because he needed him for the reformation of the church. He needed Myconius to help with that. And so he prayed that he would live. And so we see here that actually um, there's a big picture in the book of Acts. And the big picture in the book of Acts wasn't the reformation of the church. The big picture in the book of Acts was the spread of the gospel. So when we pray, when we pray, we need to keep that in mind, the spread of the gospel. I mean, actually what happened here was Peter was released and then he disappears uh, he said, and he, was, and he left for another place in verse 17. Now, if you look at verse 17, uh, he probably went into hiding. Some people say he went to Rome. There's no evidence for that, despite the beliefs of our Roman Catholic friends. And uh, Peter was probably in hiding um, until we see him again a, a couple of 18 months, a couple of years later at the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And he played a really significant role there. He was needed for the growth of the gospel. So the word of God would continue to spread and flourish. So when we pray, let's remember the picture, the big picture, the spread of the gospel. Now that should change the way we pray, shouldn't it? So for instance, someone starting a new job, what do you pray for them? Pray we go really well tomorrow. Well, that's fair enough, okay. But how about pray that tomorrow they'll be able to say that they're Christians. And that they'd have opportunities to talk of Jesus, 
during their time there at work. Don was telling me just before the service, it was your dad, wasn't it? First day in the army. What did he do first night? He knelt down by his bed and prayed. That was fairly obvious. He's a believer, isn't it? And what a gutsy thing to do in the army. You know, that kind of thing, that is, that's brilliant, isn't it? That isn't that the kind of thing we should be praying for? Um, or uh, you start a new school, you, you know, or go to uni. What do we want to do? I think it would be great to pray that actually our people were on their first day would say, actually, I was at church yesterday. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian believer. And then would have opportunities to, to speak of Jesus. Um, well, yeah, a new building. Ray Evans last week saying they need to go to a new building. And our Yak, for instance, when the Youth and Community Centre was being built, uh, redone, we were praying that it would be used for the glory of God so that more people would hear the word of God, so that more people would become Christians, so that the word of God would continue to spread and flourish here, for instance. So uh, we need to be praying for those kind of things. It ought to tweak the way we pray for people, shouldn't it? Um, when, we, when people are ill, what's the big picture? The big picture is still the spread and the flourishing of the word of God. So let's pray that would be a good example and loads of opportunities to speak of Christ. That would be a good thing, wouldn't it? Um, I was cutting our hedges, you can admire them uh, uh, after church if you like, in the front garden yesterday, and uh, Chris Fry passed by on his way down to Books Alive. You may not know Chris Fry, uh, he's an elder at Calvary Church in the middle of town by the fire station at Preston Circus, almost next door to that, and he lives just up the road here on Helms Avenue. Uh, Chris has got cancer, he's got two years, and he's having chemo, but he's doing really well. And, uh, uh, and it's just given him a whole new lease of evangelistic life. So he was telling me, for instance, that uh, uh, um, almost week after week, he's getting work colleagues to come to church. So this morning at Calvary, we prayed together, uh, me with a hedge trimmer, and uh, uh, that Chris's uh, work colleague and this work colleague's daughter would turn up and be there today at Calvary. He's having all sorts of conversations with neighbours up here on Holmes Avenue. There are loads of Christians on Holmes Avenue. I think Chris is doing more evangelism than the rest of us put together. It's wonderful, because he's got the big picture. He knows he's going to be in glory in a couple of years or whatever it's going to be. But actually he wants other people to be there as well. He wants the word of God to spread and flourish in his life for as long as he's got. Thank God for Chris Fry and pray for him. And if you live on Holmes Avenue, pray for him even more. That would be a good thing to do. But pray for the opportunities. Pray for the opportunities for the gospel in his life. It kind of feels like a bit like a mini revival going on. It's wonderful. So, um, let's pray that that would continue. Let's pray more for the big picture. Second thing, we want to pray uh, more for people and less for situations. So, verse 5 there. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. How do we pray for those who are ill? Well, I've already mentioned that slightly. And uh, I think it was, was it last Monday that I put something out on the prayer chain, praying uh, that Anna would get an um, MRI soon. And, and they called on Tuesday, Wednesday morning. We had a couple of MRIs. Thank you for praying. Um, I asked you to pray that we might be able to make the family holiday. So this time next week, for instance, we'll be down on the gower with the family. Those are circumstances. Those are situations. I want us actually, according to this passage, to pray more for people and less for situations. I didn't ask you to pray that we'd both be godly, patient, kind, trust God, take opportunities. Should have done. Because that's what this passage is telling us. 
so that we'd be more, uh, more biblical in our praying. Now, let me explain. Let me explain about verse 5. Did the church pray for people to be released? For Peter to be released? Actually, we don't know. Actually, we don't know what they were praying for. All it says in verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, generally speaking, uh, uh, we, we think, and I've preached on this several times before, saying that he would be released. It doesn't actually say that. And then actually, if you look at their surprise when he was released, it's, uh, um, you know, I've, I mean, I've preached on this passage before. And I've said, uh, yeah, when Peter was released, and he went to the door and they said, no, it can't be Peter. It must be his angel. And then when they saw him, they were astonished. And, and I preached sermons saying, yeah, they were praying for him to be released. But then their reaction was they were just a bit dull. Actually, I think their reaction says to us very clearly they probably weren't praying for him to be released. Otherwise, they might have been half expecting it. And he wouldn't have left him outside and they wouldn't have been astonished when he turned up. But instead, there are a couple of clues here. So, for instance, um, look at verse 7. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. How about they were praying that Peter would have a good night's sleep the night before he was beheaded? How about they were praying that he would be calm and cool and collected about it? How about that he would trust Jesus that actually his eternity wasn't that far away, his place in heaven? How about they were praying for him that he would have good opportunities for the gospel with those guards to whom he was chained? I think that's much more likely. And if that was what they were praying for, then it was uh, uh, then it was certainly a prayer where God said, oh yes, I think that's a really good idea. So, for instance, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he still didn't wake up. So I reckon he was pretty, um, he was pretty sound asleep. And then he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. As in, that was pretty big wallop to wake him up. He was sound asleep, pretty snoring away. I didn't say that, we don't know that. But, uh, um, but you know, I think that's much more likely, isn't it? And, you know, it is consistent with the rest of the New Testament. Because when the New Testament talks about praying, it, it doesn't speak very much about circumstances or situations. But the rest of the New Testament talks far more about people. And when we pray for people, it's saying, you know, uh, things like the fruit of the Spirit. Pray, Lord, that in this situation, they have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that would be a great way to pray for someone who's ill, wouldn't it? Or in prison. So they may have, they may have prayed for the situation, but I'm sure if they were being biblical about it, they would have prayed far more for faith, for trust, for growth, for confidence, for peace. Now doesn't that change the way we pray? Doesn't it just tweak it? So I'm not saying pray more. Just saying, actually, this might change the way we pray for people. Pray for their Christian faith. Pray they would grow in their confidence. Oh, yeah, we can pray for the other things as well. There's no harm in praying that, you know, and it would be well enough for us to go on holiday, for instance. But far better to pray that we'd have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so on. So, um, that's the second point. Uh, pray more for people 
unless for situations. So I'm not saying don't pray for situations, but pray for the spiritual health and growth and development of individuals. Number three, um, and uh, the, the, the last two are rather shorter than the first two. So pray more earnestly. Earnestly is not really one of those words we use very much, is it? We don't say, oh, I'm in earnest about this. or uh, uh, And you don't get people called earnest very often. But if you're visiting today, you're called Ernest. I'll be delighted to meet you at the end. But, uh, but verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And it seems they really were earnest. So have a look at verse 12. When this had dawned on him that it wasn't a dream and he was, really was being released, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. And what time was it? I think it was probably about 3 o'clock in the morning. And many people had gathered and were praying. Middle of the night. Wow. Sometimes people gather to pray and we spend 25 minutes sharing news and three minutes praying. Um, I suspect in Acts chapter 12 it was probably the reverse, wasn't it? Um, And in the original, when it says they were earnestly praying to God, and when it says in verse 12, and they were praying, it meant they kept at it. So they hadn't turned up at three o'clock and then prayed for five minutes. This suggests they were probably praying all night long. It means involvement. It means commitment. It means hard work. It means graft. It means it's a strain. It means we'll be quite tired at the end. And praying is quite hard work, isn't it? Um, we don't want to let it be uh, kind of just wash over us. Praying is quite tiring. We have to concentrate. We have to think about what we're praying about. Chris is going to lead us in our prayers just uh, after I've sat down. And uh, as she does so, let's all make the effort to concentrate on every word she uses so that we can pray along with her. It's very easy to switch off when we pray as God's people, isn't it? Let's stick with Chris as she leads us. Earnestly means you mean it. Earnestly means it comes from your heart. And we're not just going through the motions. John Bunyan wrote this once. When you pray, rather let your heart be without words than your words without hearts. Because that's where it's from, isn't it? As we pray, we put our heart and our soul into it. So, Lord, please help me to pray for my heart. Help me to slow down and think about what I'm praying. Help me to mean it, to really mean it when I pray. Pray, Lord, you'd help me to pray more earnestly. And then more with other people. More with other people. Uh, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God. And in verse 12, they obviously got together to pray. Um, I love the way they prayed uh, together. Um, it's what Christians do. They did it in Acts a lot. It was, it was, it was a natural thing to do. And of course we meet to pray, don't we? We're going to pray today. Uh, we'll, we pray in the prayer meeting as we did this week. I think there were, I think I counted 70 of us met this week to pray in the prayer meeting. It's great. Uh, put the dates in. It's always the second Wednesday of the month. Why not put it in your diary for the rest of the year? 
I've got, this is my diary as well. It's in here. Well, I'm the vicar, so you'd expect me to have it in the diary, but, um, but why not put it in the diary on your wall planner or calendar or something like that? And, uh, uh, and why not pray? When Christians get together, we ought to pray, shouldn't we? Now, that can be a bit intimidating. That can be a bit tricky. So, but, you know, there are, um, there are a number of really good prayers in the Bible, and we have a prayer book here in the Church of England. There are lots of great prayers there. So uh, it, it might feel a bit awkward when you first start doing it, but before someone comes around for a tea or coffee or something, why not just say, can we pray before we go? Now, you may find that difficult because sometimes it's hard to know what to say. But you could have, say, Jude 24, the last verse before Revelation, and just type that out on a little card. Do it twice, so you can then say it as a prayer together. Or at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, about God praying far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine. And just pray that together. Or write the Lord's Prayer, or the grace, or our verse for the year, which is the last verse in 2 Corinthians, for instance. We want to have something that we can pray together. And then maybe as time goes on, you feel, well, actually, we'll just pray about the situation. Lord, we pray for all we've talked about today. And we pray you'd help us through these difficult times. Amen. Anyone can do that, can't they? Sometimes it feels a bit awkward. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Let's pray when we meet together. And uh, uh, so we pray for people's uh, souls and their walk with God and the fruit of the Spirit growing in their lives rather than just praying that God would change circumstances. So we want to pray uh, a little bit more for people. We want to pray and be more informed about the big picture, about the growth and the flourishing of the word of God, the gospel in people's lives. We want to pray a little bit more earnestly. We want to think a bit more uh, about our praying before we pray and ask God that, that God would help this to come from our hearts. And we want to pray a little bit more with other people. Yeah, of course, come to the prayer meeting if you can. Dates in a diary and so on. But let's pray with other Christians as God gives us the opportunity to. Maybe there's someone you'd like to or something you'd like to pray about with someone today. We always have people at the front after our morning services, little prayer team here. So if you'd like to do that, do pray. It's what Christians do. So, uh, uh, so let's remember those four things this morning. More for the big picture. More for people, less for situations, more earnestly, and more with other people. Let's pray now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and then Chris will lead us in our main time of prayer. Father, we pray you'd help us to pray more. Help us to remember the big picture as we pray. Pray you'd help us to pray for people and not just situations. Pray, Lord, you'd help us to pray more earnestly and a bit more with other people as well. Lord, please help us to pray and to tweak the way we do it and to put into practice one thing from today, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.